This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Josh Nyland, chef and co-owner of St. Peter and Fish Butchery in Sydney, Australia. I've admired Josh's creativity and point of view from afar, and now, after hearing how he's making meaningful changes to his food and his life, I'm even more inspired. Hear about what it means to Josh to adapt, to create, and what inspires him during these unprecedented times. We're back Monday with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Josh. Josh, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Early morning there in Sydney. 7.30 a.m., you're already in, in the restaurant it's an interesting day, couple of days in Australia. The show will run a little bit later, but I think today's the first day that restaurants are allowed to be open again. Yeah, I suppose for a few of us limping back over the line to get the door open, uh, for, for us here at, at St. Peter, uh, we are going to continue doing our uh, at-home meal kits. Um, there is a pl- plan in place for us to get open, but that'll take a little bit of time. But around Sydney in particular, New South Wales, we've kind of been granted the freedom to reopen with 10 patrons in our restaurant um, or, or cafe. I know Victoria is still uh, under, under lockdown, so they won't be, they won't be opening now. Um, but each state basically is um, uh, getting looked after as they see fit. How many people fit in, in your restaurant? What's full capacity at St. Peter? We're, we're licensed for 34 people. So uh, when, we, when my wife and I opened uh, St. Peter, we were hoping we could get 40 people in there and that would be amazing. Um, and then it turned into 50 and then 55. And, and, and the last months or the last years of trading, we were doing about 80 or 90 people in a service and it was fast-paced, turn, turn the tables over, and it's a bit of a sardine tin, really. Um, we can only, we rely on getting people, you know, saddled up next to one another and uh, getting our tables turned over in two hours. So uh, it's been challenging looking at numbers because with social distancing in place, it allows us to have 17 people in the room. Uh, so with five staff, potentially four staff, then you're looking at around a dozen people uh, at, at a time. So really, with 10 people being available go, to go back into restaurants now, then we're only too short of where we'll end up being um, for as long as social distancing is in place. So because of social distancing, you won't be able to have a full restaurant, period? Yeah, correct. Full in the sense of how we were trading before. Uh, but I feel the whole, yeah, this is the reason, I suppose, that we're remodeling what we're doing and why I'm sitting in a room right now that's empty uh, because we've spent the last few weeks pulling our upstairs storage uh, apart and basically we're going to be redeveloping that space into a prep kitchen uh, where we're going to move all my at-home meal kits upstairs and then that will give us the freedom downstairs in the restaurant to redesign and do a new layout for uh, what we will end up being uh, in the coming months. 
So you're redesigning the whole place. What will the downstairs end up looking like? I mean, fingers crossed, it'll end up being uh, something that I've really loved eating at, like which was Swan Oyster Depot in San Francisco. And I love that restaurant. And we had such a great time there. And I've always just had it in the back of my head as being somewhere that I would hope to open something of a similar shape uh, and size and just the intimacy of service. So uh, we looked at the space that we have and we've removed everything from it basically and and we're going to be running a bar through the middle of the room and uh, having, I think, potentially the capacity to do 17 covers, uh, but but for reopening it'll, it'll stand at around a dozen. So basically bringing efficiency to our labour costs really and getting everybody behind the counter as opposed to having traditional table service. Wow. So you've really used this time not wasting any of it to really reconfigure what you're doing and you haven't been sitting at home thinking, I am going to reopen this really lovely 40-person dream dining room that I, I built very tenderly with my wife. Yeah, like it's four and a half. Yeah, I, well, how long is it? It's nearly four years that we've been trading. And Julie and I opened St. Peter uh, with, you know, I wouldn't say a miserly budget, but a budget that was realistic and we didn't overcapitalize and we found a venue that used to be a sushi train. And it was on one of the main streets in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and it's not too far from the city. And <clears throat> basically we just got over the line with, with opening. We, re, we plugged the fridges back in, we, we cleaned the place out and we took away everything that was unnecessary. So we exposed a whole lot of sandstone and brick on the wall and we made it quite simple. Uh, but you know the expectations of the business grew over the next few years and in that time we opened a retail business a few doors down from St. Peter called Fish Butchery and I mean no one really would ever open a fish shop on Oxford Street in Paddington in Sydney because retail you know over the last few years has been really dire and there's more for lease signs than there are trading businesses and especially when you're dealing with fish, which has got all of its preconceived, you know, challenges around it. Uh, we did it anyway, so it became a glorified prep kitchen and retail space for St. Peter, and it kind of generated the, um, the interest in what we were doing. But then it turned out that it became an essential business, and the, I suppose, desire to go there more frequently became more apparent as lockdown happened, and then that business started trading you know, better than it has. So I suppose some good has come uh, from that particular situation. And it's allowed us to have the infrastructure to do these meal kits properly. Um, and also for us to continue to support our suppliers because a lot of our suppliers, you know, to a degree have been cut off from their wholesale, um, uh, uh, their wholesale trade that they depend on um, especially some of those fishermen that supply uh, overseas, their export trade is just completely dried up. So, I mean, these guys are, are hanging on by the skin of their teeth. So to have a space that is, you know, trading well, it's been wonderful to keep purchasing fish from. But we, like to answer your question, like to, with regards to St. Peter, we're trying to remove the emotional context from it being that, you know, so to speak, dream restaurant that we conjured up uh, and we just need to get on with it and our priority is to make sure that we can 
keep as many of our staff on um, and also just keep paying our bills and look after our kids. I think that's super smart. I mean, I think now's a really good time to make, you know, sober, rational decisions. And especially if those decisions um, include that you can still exist as, as a restaurant of, of some sort. You're a brilliant chef. You're still going to make delicious food. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we closed on Friday, the 20th of March, and the official kind of closures all started happening on the 22nd uh, on the Sunday. And we did our last service Friday night and then we came in on Saturday and had to uh, stand down a lot of our team, which was very difficult, uh, as everybody, I suppose, faced. Um, but come Sunday, I came into the restaurant and I pulled the whole kitchen apart downstairs and I brought everything from our storage kitchen upstairs down so that I could basically run this at-home uh, product by myself so I didn't have to run up and down the stairs all day. Um, and we got started the very next day on the Monday and my wife is super savvy <laughs> getting uh, online uh, Shopify uh, website all established and made it very seamless and simple for customers to start using straight away. And given the, the kind of contact we have on Instagram and the, the um, immediacy of an image bringing desire to a product, uh, we had a quick uh, adaptive model that we could slip into. So it's been, you know, super challenging <laughs> going from doing the, the neat little restaurant 30 at a time up to producing 200 fish pies on a Friday night and, you know, doing dishes that I've never really done before, but, you know, it seems to be inspiring and, and helping our chefs stay motivated. And also it's given me the opportunity to work with a lot of my friends around Sydney uh, and getting them to supply me with their with their products. Like, I mean, I'm working with people like Mitch Orr who, who makes pasta for us each week and, and even Luke Powell from LP's Quality Meats who's supplying us meat. And I've never served meat in this restaurant ever. Um, but to work with all of these chefs around Sydney, not only is it giving them monetary relief, it's giving them a little bit of like a deadline and I feel like there's been so much conversation prior to the bushfires in Australia and then prior to COVID obviously but mental health has always been a huge issue like with with the industry and you know chefs are insecure at the best of times and I feel like to not have the deadlines and service and we have no adrenaline or ascension into any kind of service that I think is one of the biggest voids that we're missing. Um, so it's been great to work with these chefs to, to kind of say, I need pasta by Tuesday next week, and then they're able to turn up for that. So, and I think it's been, yeah, I think it's been wonderful to get emails from people as well. Like, you know, people talk about how can we support our restaurants right now? I think even if it's not even uh, purchasing anything, just a, a message of support seems to come of more of, like just as much of a financial benefit, like as a mental support. So. I love that you had the foresight to create community through your to-go menus and take advantage of your relationships with other chefs and, and vendors around Sydney. It's been fun to see on your social media, you know, Matt Moran popping up and then some other great Sydney chefs too. It, it, it's good to see that the, the, the camaraderie holds strong anyways. 
yeah, and it's like to see people like Matt Moran and Neil Perry and all these iconic chef heroes, I suppose, that I have around town, they come in and they buy their fish at the fish butchery and go home and, you know, to see an extension of that then on Instagram, you know, my new service is sitting at home watching people execute your food. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's definitely a different model uh, than I thought I'd be working in, but it's been one that's managed to get, I suppose, 80% of our team back um, to the restaurant now. When do you suppose your, your new version of St. Peter will open? Julie and I are really hoping for, um, realistically, probably end of June, July. Um, and, and only because we're, I suppose we were very quick to adapt in the initial stages, but then to adapt back will take a little bit more time just because any money spent on redesigning, redeveloping and, and sorting out is basically going to be have to be very well considered because this is the next five years of our life um, because we're coming up to the time where we're renegotiating our lease and all of those things and, and we want to do it right and we want to make sure that it's not a short-lived decision. Uh, I mean, for me personally, I, I've wanted to get a little bit smaller um, prior, prior to all of this just to create a bit more of an intimate uh, experience for people. Um, I never thought it would be a dozen people, but um, it's, I think, yeah, I think we're so open about this because we've, we've gotten to a point in the business where we're ready to change and ready to evolve. Um, and this forced uh, moment that's come up has really, you know, pushed us in the right direction to, to what we want to do. And just given us, a, yeah, I suppose given us a bit of confidence to have a little bit more freedom. Um, Tell me about your your suppliers, and I mean you've you've built an amazing network of fishermen throughout Australia, and you've been able to you know get fish onto your menu that people don't think about necessarily eating any part of, yet alone the parts that you like to serve. So, are are people still fishing for the same things? Are you able to get the same stock? Has has that inventory deadened at all? Has 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 it become less robust, or do you really have your pick because you're one of the only people buying? Yeah, I've, well, a little bit of everything. I've, I feel like the the quality has increased dramatically, <laughs> whether or not it's not getting picked over as frequently by, by every hand in Sydney. But uh, the quality seems to have gone up. The, uh, the cost uh, across a few different lines has gone down. Noticing prices in uh, tuna and prawns seem to have come down dramatically into prices that I've never seen before. Uh, and but suppliers that we personally work with, like there's a family in Queensland in Malilaba, uh Heidi and Pavo Walker, and they they're an MSC certified uh, tuna fishery, and so we get our albacore and swordfish and, and tunas from them. Basically, they've had to adapt and change as every business has, but now they're in they're supplying A grade tuna to a supermarket now in Australia, a national supermarket, and. To see them do that, you know, extraordinary, like it, it's courageous. It's, it's probably going against some things that maybe they originally discussed, but it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's great that they've kept their head above water and also we're purchasing their fish, noticing we're probably getting some really fantastic export grade product now um, because that's all dried up for them. 
and then oysters as well. Like I, I think it's a, it's a rare, it's a strange situation in Australia that we've just come out of a bushfire. It's one of the most significantly damaging times <laughs> that Australia's ever had, like in terms of the severity of those fires. And I mean, our suppliers have been on the ropes <laughs> for for some time now, and and you know, facing fires, floods, and now this pandemic. Uh, I personally don't know how they could even get up out of bed in, in the morning. Like it's um, our oyster farmers are still producing some of the world's best oysters. Uh, and I didn't think it would be something that some someone would want in a meal kit to take home, but we're, we've sold a significant amount of oysters, which has been great. And then there's another chap up in Queensland called Ben Collison, who's a, a coral trout fisherman. And I mean, my, Instagram is probably saturated with images of coral trout, but um, he's an extraordinary fisherman who 80% of his business went to China. So uh, when that when that finished up, then we needed to increase our buying, I suppose, of his fish because we just love his fish so much. Uh, so, you know, we've done some really expensive meal kits as well. And, and part of the other conversation of how... How do we increase our prices <laughs> moving forward on all of this? Like, you can't do a meal kit for $150 for, for two people without having an email written <laughs> that, that's questioning it. But, I mean, the cost of food needs to be looked at, I feel, moving forward. Um, it's food, Good food just is costing more and more in, in light of all of these um, circumstances. It's the food you've been putting out is is exceptionally beautiful. Can you talk to me about the creative process of putting together a, a to go menu? Any any kind of food that we that we cook here at the restaurant, whether it's in the restaurant or taking home, I always need it to feel generous, and I always need it to feel like I'm nourishing you. <laughs> uh, there needs to be a level of care and love involved, uh, whether that's the, like the selection of ingredients or it being complete. Um, in terms of the creativity, my wife, Julie, was saying to me, you know, it'd be great if you could just stick to <laughs> a few of the favourites because, you know, there's, there's a demand for the pie, obviously, and a great curry each week. And, you know, working with David Thompson on doing a fish curry um, was amazing. Um, I was, you know, blown away to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, but... You know, it's. I feel like we need to continue the creativity that we do in the restaurant throughout these meals. So doing the scallop hot dog and, you know, bosam of coral trout and some really interesting, unique things. Not only does it keep our chefs inspired and removing some of the monotony out of those tasks that we face, which is packaging a whole lot of food into cardboard instead of having the flamboyance of putting food on a plate. Um, we've managed to... Um, you know, stay quite upbeat about it all. So it's such, um, I mean, let me, I just want to go through a few dishes because I, I stare at them sometimes. I'm looking at the uh, salt and vinegar onion with tapioca, bow and coral, trout throat and, and chives. And in the, in the forefront of the shot, you have this beautiful, you know, tapioca orb that looks like, you know, a beautifully polished piece of amber or something. How do you, how do you do that? I'm, obsessive at the best of times and and i mean to the detriment of seeing the kids a lot and seeing julie a lot i um i work too much and i mean we all do that 
uh, I, you know, you go into a certain mindset, especially when you open a restaurant where you just need everything to be right and you need to turn up when you have to turn up and you leave as you're the last one to go. And I mean, that's, you hear this all the time, but I, you go into a similar beast mode in, in all of this where you just wake up in the morning and you get to work and you do your work, you do as best you can and then you leave once it's all done and you do the washing up and you, you know, all of that stuff because you don't have the staff around you. Uh, it's, it, it's been, it's getting, it's getting better now, but uh, to, to do those first few weeks, you know, uh, not really giving much uh, at home and giving everything at work, that's, that's been a big challenge. Uh, and I mean, that's the, to the detriment of me as well, like the way I work, uh, I probably don't balance things out enough and I don't want this to turn into a therapy session, but it's kind of, uh, it, yeah, like to put the pressure always on myself to continue to, to change and to, to make things interesting and exciting and whether I put too much energy into creativity for Instagram and all that sort of stuff, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I asked this question because you, you clearly need the therapy session, I think, because the, the, the question was, how do you get the tapioca ball to look that way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, we're taking a, a detour. Um, tapioca. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I love your, I love your answer because there, there is, you know, the, the struggle of humanity in every tapioca ball for sure. <laughs> That's you know it. what we pour into what we pour into our craft is is more than just the thing you put in your mouth. So I appreciate great. that. That's a great analogy. <laughs> um, no, I yeah, I there's so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> um, no, like, and I mean, I don't, I don't want to bring this up, but I feel like it's it's something that we're all kind of seeing in Australia as well. Like, our federal and state governments have been extraordinary. Like to be able to support restaurants as much as they have, um, but then as well, there's a lot of people that are skilled and working holiday visas and 20-hour visas as well. Um, I suppose uh, have, have slipped through the cracks a little bit, so we're we're trying our best to make sure our whole team is back in the fold. Um, and I mean that makes up a huge part of the hospitality industry globally. I suppose is is workers that kind of come in from other parts of the world and share their knowledge. And uh, I feel very fortunate that I've worked with a huge amount of people from overseas over the years. Like it's an education within an education really to, to select somewhere to go and work um, because of the chef that's there. But then indirectly you get to surround yourself with a group of people that have got skills that they've acquired from other parts of the world that you just can't get here in Australia. So um it was more a shout out to those people that I feel like are <laughs> weathering a far more difficult storm uh, at the moment. And, you know, to have, to have a business that's continued trading, I feel quite fortunate and almost um, it's, it's challenging for me to have this chat with you because I'm in a, in a relatively fortunate position um, when I know most are, are really struggling. I know you guys in the States as well are, in a totally different caliber of hurt 
at the moment. I'm listening to different things. Like I, I thought your conversation with Will Gadera was extraordinary and it's kind of memory burner stuff that's, that's kind of lingered on. And, and I really was fascinated to hear that, that quote said that adversity uh, is something that shouldn't be wasted. And I mean, to that end as well, I think resilience in the industry is our only option um, at the moment. And we really all just need to grit our teeth. And, and in this really difficult time, we, I feel still need to remain positive that some good will come out of it. And I really do hope that it's kind of not the kick in the backside because that's the wrong word, but the rocket on our backs to really implement change in our industry, um, whether that's the way that we care for our own teams or whether that's how we look forward to the future of how we're going to be educating the next generation of chefs um, from the like the low like from that very entry level education stage of not only cooking because cooking seems to be the last thing that we need to worry about but uh, you know it always gets said that a chef wears many hats but I don't feel that is taught enough. Like I'm wearing a hat as every or one of my friends and people around the world are. You're wearing a hat of a social worker, a psychologist, a nutritionist. Like there's so many facets to being a chef and being a restaurateur that there is no education for that. We're learning on our as we go. I mean, everybody learns as they go in each profession, but I feel it would be an amazing opportunity uh, for someone to create a finishing school, <laughs> so to speak, before you go and open a restaurant, you should go and, and learn all this, other, all this other side to the business that you just don't know that you have to engage in. As a young, like when I opened St. Peter with Julie, like 27 years old and, and you just, you go in head first and you just, you pray that it works and you don't want to be embarrassed in front of your peers if it doesn't. So, so much, yeah, you wear so much stress and you just, you keep your head down as long as you can until it hurts. And then when it starts to hurt, then you ask for help. So it's, there needs to, like, I mean, the are you okay conversation in Australia, like to call your mate and make sure that they're okay. And I think we're... I'm in, a, I'm in a group, in a circle of people that will always message, will always call, make sure everybody's fine. It's amazing support all throughout the industry and even from afar, like being able to talk with Nathan Outlaw in the UK and ask how, how things are going over there and to speak to people in Copenhagen and, you know, it, it gives you context in the world and it also relieves some stresses that you're carrying in your own mind that you're not alone. So, um, we we're very fortunate to be in such a supportive industry. Um, I feel that way. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's the trade-off. I mean, I, I think you you risk uh, tremendously in a financial sense when you come into the culinary industry, um, and you kind of know you're going to be rewarded with great camaraderie and friendship and and community. And I, I'm amazed that chefs and restaurateurs choose those human aspects over the business ones time and time and time again. Absolutely.
<laughs> you're you're uh you know you're a young man still you're 32 years old right are you even 32 you're 30 you're, thir- you're 31 do you feel like this has aged you prematurely and kind of put you into a part of your career that you thought you might not be in for another 10 years i i i feel i'm almost not lucky but fortunate to be the age i am going through something like this and to be only at the very early stages of our business uh so that we can detach a little bit of emotion from decision-making so that we can remain positive and, like I said, adapt to change as, as quickly as we need to. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've aged a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I think the biggest thing to come out of all of this, uh, for me personally, is looking at my flaws as a manager and a leader. Um, I've been... I suppose everyone's had difficult times having the right answers to give to their teams. I think that's been the biggest thing. Uh, It's been challenging to find the right words to to converse with people when you don't even have the information at hand that you need to to give any kind of uh, support uh, and guidance, which is why I lean on Julie so much to to bring that kind of uh, acumen uh, that, that goes beyond let's just get food on the plate and keep our heads down and just get through this. Like, uh, she's been incredibly supportive through all of that. But I, <laughs> my, one of my biggest, I suppose, hurdles is uh, trying to, like, I feel like I'm a good leader <laughs> but, uh, and a good manager, but... I rarely find myself in confrontational situations and I've found myself in those over the past few weeks um, trying to resolve situations and I've learned a lot about myself and I, and I feel like I've improved a lot um, in that area. And I know this is turning into a session again, <laughs> but it's good to kind of, kind of unpack a little bit. But uh, I think some truths have been said amongst our group as well, which has been refreshing. Um, in, in, with regards to how we've been operating because, I mean, you say to me about the photos that you continue to see, it's very difficult to continue to write a, a different menu every every day of the week and especially when I'm still probably doing a takeaway menu that feels like a restaurant <laughs> where, um, you know, next week's a completely different menu but I'm going to tell you on Sunday night because I haven't made up my mind yet and we start on Tuesday, so I hope you can find that fish for me. Um, and the frustrations of um, trying to make that make that work and seamless and, and organised has been difficult. So I've, I've really, you know, I haven't pulled my head in, but I, I've looked at the way that I've been, uh, my expectations have been, and, and I'm getting a lot better at that now. But, I mean... We learn so much about ourselves in great times, like of adversity. So, so the conflicts were generated from pressure that you created. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not a hot-headed person by any means. Like I'm too nice, and people that know me would agree with that. Um, and I, through just, yeah constant change and, and wanting it to be different every day to keep interested because I feel like that's the, uh, uh, that's the way that we'll continue to be busy. Uh, right. And the insecurities of not um, 
doing something different will result in not being busy and us having to close the restaurant. And I mean, that's always been in the back of my mind as being the worst possible thing. And I can't, I can't let it get to that. It would yeah. be yeah, a failure. Yeah. I mean, the pressure of, of survival always, you know, hangs over our heads, but it's certainly been made more acute during a pandemic when people all around the world are, are literally dying and, and businesses are too. And I think we all wonder in one respect or another, uh, are we next? It's, it's only natural. Yeah. And that's why I don't, I, it's not about me at all. And uh, people like continuing to listen to these conversations that you're having and others are having really puts it into context that we are, you know, spoiled to be able to, to just turn up and do what we love to do. Um, to have the opportunity to stand in the kitchen and cook food is, is what every chef in the world right now would be desperate to do. So uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be one of those people. But um, it has been a good opportunity to learn a lot about my, like my team um, and not only here at St. Peter but at Fish Butchery. And also to reconnect with um, people in the industry around town and, and work with their products and, you know, um, yeah, work with heroes. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been really good. I mean, it's, it sounds like what's happening now will shape your understanding of your business and will shape the future of it too. So, you know, flash forward a, a year, assuming there's, there's no pandemic lingering in the air anymore. What, is, what does St. Peter look like to you? You walk in, it's Friday, you're ready to cook. What do you see? Uh, I, well, I mean, I hope I can put 12 people on stools in the restaurant. So um, a full restaurant, but one that, that's almost got a little bit of weight taken off its shoulders and cooking with a little bit more freedom and a team that's working collectively, and I say team with the two businesses, because it's always been a juggle to try to work out how a retail business can operate with a restaurant attached to it and how that can... Um, function cohesively. I think speaking for myself and, and others around Australia, it's just to have that emotional connection with the customer again, to have them in front of you. The, the reason I started cooking was because I found great joy in watching somebody eat my food. Uh, I grew up, like my mum my would cook me my lunch in my lunch break when I was sick as a kid. I had cancer when I was eight and I would go home uh, and I would have my therapy and then I would come home, mum would cook me a chicken pie and then I would go back to school and then repeat and then you would, the gesture of a meal is one of the most wonderful human things that you can do for another person and that's why I cook because, yeah, I just to have contact with people, to, to, to work on something all day and to remove yourself from, I suppose, I won't even say normal life because this is what we've all decided. We love hospitality, we love food. Um, but, yeah, to me, the joy of cooking food and, and what I want to see and what I want to be standing in in a year's time is people enjoying each other's company and breaking bread together and, and just being happy. Um, the, the feeling of a room when it's busy. It doesn't even have to be overly busy, but the feeling of the people within that room um, elevates you into superhero status. You feel like you're untouchable. It's wonderful. Like I remember one of the first services here at the restaurant, 
I think Edda, jo- <laughs> was it Edda James came on to our playlist and I'm cooking. The restaurant's full. There's six people outside in a line and I don't hear anything except the words in the song <laughs> at last and I'm pulling down these fish weights on top of the fish and me and two other people are in this kitchen. We've finally opened this restaurant and all I can hear is this song <laughs> and I've got goosebumps all over my arms. And I want to feel that again. Um, but again, I, I feel spoiled that I get to cook right now. So, Josh, our show is called Takeaway Only. What's your big takeaway from leading your team in, in St. Peter and fish, fish butchery and 250 carry-out meals a day and your wife, Julie, and, and your three little kids all through this moment? Uh, to sum it up really short and sharp, <laughs> To me, resilience is our only option and it's to keep your head down and you stay as positive as you can and you remain kind and supportive to one another and know that a conversation should be had <laughs> um, and you should pick up the phone and just call someone just to be sure that they're fine uh, and just be patient, I feel. There is relief. I hope there's relief coming. Like I, I'm half glass full, but yeah, just don't lose sight of, you know, actual, the, like the context of the world and being human and, you know, everybody, we can get in our bubble very quickly and just become very, you know, restaurant focused and everything's got to happen and you got to be better and do better. But then being home, at 7.30 p.m. of a night to put my kids to bed has probably been the best thing to happen in months. And so I wouldn't change that for anything. So I suppose don't lose sight of what's real. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for, for your honesty and, and thank you for being here. It's, it's nice to, to get to know the guy behind the really beautiful Instagram photos. <laughs> nice to finally chat to you, Howie. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. That was Josh Nyland. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Nyland. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beeples. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back Monday. This is Takeaway Only.